Hello again, everybody. Uh, this is uh, Jason Powers. Just gonna do a broadcast day um, regarding um, multiple science um, analysis that's been done recently. One's by Yuval Noah Harari, and the other one is by uh, Guoping Fang. Um, and then I'm going to go back to something that was echoed at their at the cusp of the 20th century um, in various uh, locations um, particularly in Germany the idea here is to show that nothing nothing is quite uh, a totally new concept just the technology upgrade the technocracy um, and I think these presentations uh, uh, one is from 60 Minutes. Uh, this is an interview by Anderson Cooper of uh, Harari. And the other one happened at Purdue University. And um, Guo uh, Feng is an expert in his uh, field regarding uh, the CRISPR-Cas. So this was an hour-long presentation. But I'm going to probably play about half of it or about 20, 25 minutes of it. I think that's, that gets us where we need to be on that. And I'm not doing it just solely uh, for the uh, for the lulls. I'm, um, I'm connecting these ideas together because I know many people won't won't be able to or think that this is just a one step. You know, the technology or the science is 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 uh, being compartmentalized. No, no, no. This is not being compartmentalized. This is uh, running across social, financial, a whole host of. Uh, um, platforms for social control system and the Chinese are expert at this uh, so far uh, but this is something they want to implement in the West at a far greater rate um, and they've used the cover of uh, climate change as part of that fact so we're going to get into that today uh, hopefully um, my presentation skills I'm going let to the, let them do most of the talking and I'm just going to sit back and connect them together so without further ado, we'll play some uh, Harari <clears throat> on 60 Minutes. This is a 13-minute clip, and I'll let, uh, just uh, pay very close attention to things that are being said and then start formulating questions for yourself in your head uh, as to what this means. When Yuval Noah Harari published his first book, Sapiens, in 2014 about the history of the human species, it became a global bestseller and turned the little-known Israeli history professor into one of the most popular writers and thinkers on the planet. But when we met with Harari in Tel Aviv this summer, it wasn't our species' past that concerned him. It was our future. Harari believes we may be on the brink of creating not just a new enhanced species of human, but an entirely new kind of being, one that's far more intelligent than we are. It sounds like science fiction, but Yuval Noah Harari says it's actually much more dangerous than that. The story will continue in a moment. You said we are one of the last generations of Homo sapiens. Within a century or two, Earth will be dominated by entities that are more different from us than we are different from chimpanzees. Yeah. What the hell does that mean? That freaked me out. You know, we'll soon have the power to re-engineer our bodies and brains, whether it is with genetic engineering or by directly connecting brains to computers, or by creating 
completely non-organic entities, artificial intelligence, which is not based at all on the organic body and the organic brain. And these technologies are developing at breakneck speed. If that is true, then it creates a whole other species. This is something which is way beyond just another species. Yuval Noah Harari is talking about the race to develop artificial intelligence, as well as other technologies like gene editing that could one day enable parents to create smarter or more attractive children, and brain-computer interfaces that could result in human-machine hybrids. What does that do to a society? I mean, it seems like the rich will have access, whereas others wouldn't. One of the dangers is that we will see in the coming decades a process of, of, of uh, um, greater inequality than in any previous time in history because for the first time it will be real biological inequality. If the new technologies are available only to the rich or only to people from a certain country, then uh, Homo sapiens will split into different biological castes because they really have different bodies and, and different abilities. Harari has spent the last few years lecturing and writing about what may lie ahead for humankind. In the coming generations, we will learn how to engineer bodies and brains and minds. He's written two books about the challenges we face in the future, Homo Deus and 21 Lessons for the 21st Century, which along with Sapiens have sold more than 35 million copies and been translated into 65 languages. His writings have been recommended by President Barack Obama, as well as tech moguls Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg. You raise warnings about technology. Mm -hmm. You're also embraced by a lot of folks in Silicon Valley. Yeah. Isn't that sort of a contradiction? They are a bit afraid of their own power, that they have realized the immense influence they have over the world, over the course of evolution, really. And I think that spooks at least some of them. And that's a good thing. Um, and this is why they are kind of, to some extent, open to listening. You started as a history professor. What do you call yourself now? Well, I'm still a historian, but I think history is the study of change, not just the study of the past, but it covers the future as well. Harari got his Ph.D. in history at Oxford and lives in Israel, where the past is still very present. He took us to this archaeological site called Tel Gezer. Four, five thousand years ago, uh, this was one of the biggest cities in the area. Harari says cities like this were only possible because about 70,000 years ago, our species, Homo sapiens, experienced a cognitive change that helped us create language, which then made it possible for us to cooperate in large groups and drive Neanderthals and all other less cooperative human species into extinction. Harari fears we are now the ones at risk of being dominated by artificial intelligence. Maybe the biggest thing that we are facing is really a kind of evolutionary divergence. For millions of years, intelligence and consciousness went together. Consciousness is the ability to feel things like pain and pleasure and love and hate. Intelligence is the ability to solve problems. Mm -hmm. But computers or artificial intelligence they don't have consciousness. They just have intelligence. They solve problems in a completely different way than us. Now, in science fiction, it's often assumed 
that as computers will become more and more intelligent, they will inevitably also gain consciousness. But actually, it's, it's much more frightening than that in a way. They will be able to solve more and more problems better than us without having any consciousness, any feelings. And they will have power over us? They are already gaining power over us. Some lenders routinely use complex artificial intelligence algorithms to determine who qualifies for loans. Global financial markets are moved by decisions made by machines analyzing huge amounts of data in ways even their programmers don't always understand. Harari says the countries and companies that control the most data will in the future be the ones that control the world. Today in the world, data is worth much more than money. Ten years ago, you had these big corporations paying billions and billions for WhatsApp, for Instagram, and people wondered, are they crazy? Why do they pay billions to get this application that doesn't produce any money? And the reason why? Because it produced data. And data is the key. The world is increasingly kind of cut up into spheres of, 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 of data collection, of data harvesting. Uh, in the Cold War, you had the Iron Curtain. Now you have the Silicon Curtain between the USA and China. And where does the data go? California? Or does it go to Shenzhen and to Shanghai and to Beijing? Harari is concerned the pandemic has opened the door for more intrusive kinds of data collection, including biometric data. What is biometric data? It's data about what's happening inside my body. What we have seen so far, it's corporations and governments collecting data about where we go, who we meet, what movies we watch. The next phase is the surveillance going under our skin. I'm wearing a, a, like a tracker that mm. tracks my heart rate, my sleep. I don't know where that information is going. Where the KGB agent on your wrist willingly. And I think it's benefiting me. And it, it is benefiting. I mean, the whole thing is that it's not just dystopian. It's also utopian. I mean, this kind of data can also enable us to, to create the best healthcare system in history. The question is, what else is being done with that data and who supervises it? Who regulates it? Earlier this year, the Israeli government gave its citizens health data to Pfizer to get priority access to their vaccine. The data did not include individual citizens' identities. So what does Pfizer want the data of all Israelis for? Because to develop new medicines, new treatments, you need the medical data. Increasingly, that's the basis for, how, uh, for medical research. And of course, it's not all bad. Harari's been criticized for pointing out problems without offering solutions. But he does have some ideas about how to limit the misuse of data. One key rule is that if you get my data, the data should be used to help me and not to manipulate me. Another key rule, that whenever you increase surveillance of individuals, you should simultaneously increase surveillance of the corporation and governments and the people at the top. And the third principle is that never allow all the data to be concentrated in one place. That's the recipe for a dictatorship. Netflix tells us what to watch, and Amazon tells us what to buy. Eventually, within 10 or 20 or 30 years, such algorithms could also tell you what to study at college, and where to work, and whom to marry, and even whom to vote for. Without greater regulation, 
Harari believes we're at risk of becoming what he calls hacked humans. What does that mean? To hack a human being is to get to know that person better than they know themselves. And based on that, to increasingly manipulate you. This outside system, it has the potential to remember everything, everything you ever did, and uh, to analyze and find patterns in this data and to get a much better idea of who you really are. I came out as gay when I was 21. It should have been obvious to me when I was 15 that I'm gay. But something in the mind blocked it. Now, if you think about a, a teenager today, Facebook can know that they are gay or Amazon can know that they are gay long before they do, just based on analyzing patterns. And based on that, you can tell uh, somebody's sexual orientation. Completely. And what does it mean if you live in Iran or if you live in Russia or in some other homophobic country and the police knows that you're gay even before you know it? When people think about data, they think about companies finding out what their likes and dislikes are. But the data that you're talking about, it goes much deeper than that. Like think in 20 years, when the entire personal history of every journalist, every judge, every politician, every military officer is held by somebody in Beijing or in Washington. Your ability to manipulate them is like nothing before in history. It's really good. Harari lives outside Tel Aviv with his husband, Itzik Yahav. They've been together for nearly 20 years. It was Yahav who read Harari's lecture notes for a history course and convinced him to turn them into his first book, Sapiens. I read the, the lessons. I couldn't stop talking about it. For me, it was clear that it could be a huge bestseller. Yahav is now Harari's agent. and Together, they started a company called Sapienship. They're creating an interactive exhibit that'll take visitors through the history of human evolution and challenge them to think about the future of mankind. Harari also just published the second installment of a graphic novel based on Sapiens, and he's teaching courses at Israel's Hebrew University in ethics and philosophy for computer scientists and bioengineers. When people write code, they are reshaping politics and economics and ethics and the structure of human society. When I think of coders and engineers, I don't think of philosophers and poets. It's not the case now, but it should be the case because they are increasingly solving philosophical and poetical riddles. If you're designing, you know, a self-driving car, so the self-driving car will need to make ethical decisions. Like suddenly a kid jumps in front of the car and the only way to, to, to prevent running over the kid is to swerve to the side and be hit by a truck and your own owner, who is asleep in the back seat, will, might, might be killed. You need to tell the algorithm what to do in this situation. So you need to actually solve the philosophical question, who to kill. Last month, the United Nations suggested a moratorium on artificial intelligence systems that seriously threaten human rights until safeguards are agreed upon. And advisors to President Biden are proposing what they call a Bill of Rights to guard against some of the new technologies. Harari says just as Homo sapiens learned to cooperate with each other many thousands of years ago, we need to cooperate now. Certainly now we are at a point when we need global cooperation. You cannot regulate the explosive power of artificial intelligence on a national level. I'm not trying to kind of prophesy what will happen. 
I'm trying to warn people about the most dangerous possibilities in the hope that we will do something in the present to prevent them. So there you go. That's uh, interview number one. So that was actually a puff piece, by the way, uh, for those who may have misinterpreted what that was about. That was about humanizing Yuval. Uh, he's far more sinister and he has far more. He's an atheist. He does not believe in God. He talks about the God above the clouds as dismissively as, you know, like you're doing your laundry. Um and I can actually play a clip to that effect, but uh, let's see here if I can find this. This is this is actually this is an older clip. I do have a uh, just a second here. I should probably uh, give you the the latest and greatest wrap up of what he he um, he has stated before. But uh, I'll let you I'll let you listen to it because that that way you won't think that I'm making this up. So here goes Yuval Harari. And COVID is critical. Because this is what convinces people to accept, to legitimize total biometric surveillance. If we want to stop this epidemic, we need not just to monitor people, we need to monitor what's happening under their skin. What we have seen so far, it's corporations and governments collecting data about where we go, who we meet, what movies we watch. The next phase, is the surveillance going under our skin. We now see mass surveillance systems established even in democratic countries, which previously rejected them. And we also see a change in the nature of surveillance. Previously, surveillance was mainly above the skin. Now it's going under the skin. Governments want to know not just where we go or who we meet, Above all, they want to know what is happening under our skin. What's our body temperature? What's our blood pressure? What, what is our medical condition? Now humans are developing even bigger powers than ever before. We are really acquiring divine powers of creation and destruction. We are really upgrading humans into gods. We are acquiring, for instance, the, the power to re-engineer life. Humans are now hackable animals. You know, the, the whole idea that humans have, you know, this, they, they have this soul or spirit and they have free will and nobody knows what's happening inside me. So whatever I choose, whether in the election or whether in the supermarket, this is my free will, that's over. I mean, all this story about Jesus rising from the dead and being the son of God, this is fake news. I know that in recent years, we saw populist politicians undermining deliberately the trust that people have in important institutions like universities, like respectable media outlets. These populist politicians told people that, say, scientists are this small elite. This con- so, I mean, that's a mashup and it did echo or repeat uh, his interview there. But his belief system is... Is uh is that we will uh um, achieve a certain amount of uh, artificial intelligence? They're looking for um, connectivity uh, to this uh, general intelligence. And for those out there, there's a um, um, Ben Gertzel, for example, 
He is a uh, he has uh, worked on Sophia. He was the senior lead engineer on Sophia. So look up Sophia and get into the the specs of that. That's a, supposedly the first AI developed prototype. Sophia is a self learning uh, interacts with human beings. Uh, it's been rolled out. I think uh, twenty fifteen or twenty sixteen. Uh, but he has uh, he has uh, laid or contemplated that. By 2045, all this will come to a head. Yuval similarly echoes this. This is through the World Economic Forum. Uh, Yuval is a uh, is like the the chief thought leader for Klaus Schwab, um, who obviously, when he mentioned about Beijing getting these uh, information, that's already occurring. Uh, Google and Microsoft and others are. Or trans- sending our information overseas, the United States. Uh, there's been evidence that there's been uh, information that's already been sent over there based upon uh, the COVID situation, as he mentioned. They haven't let the crisis of COVID, whether you believe it's manufactured or not, I believe it is, and there's plenty of evidence supporting the fact that that was the 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 intentional design was to create a enormous crisis and based upon uh, the psychological operation um military grade propaganda that was pumped out over the airwaves uh to get people to lock down to create surveillance and they have had surveillance drones around uh there were surveillance technology that was turned on by happenstance during the covid crisis to see how people interacted with their environment whether they were obeying uh, rules that you turned on you know, obviously they kept track of all your data that you were as you were moving with your uh, cell phone they were using that to see if people were keeping six to uh, six feet away from each other which was an arbitrary distance uh, promoted uh, the idea was to uh, to see how humans interact how humans would respond under a, a given a crisis and there'll be people out there that will say this is all bs no it is not bs using a, a pandemic to achieve certain results gather data and obviously roll out a vaccine in a mere nine months on a coronavirus by the way a coronavirus we've known coronaviruses are highly uh, they mutate quite rapidly uh, making it very unlikely that a vaccine will have any um, uh, positive impact or long-term ability to, uh, to actually achieve its goal, which is to stop you from dying or uh, at least minimizing your symptoms and or making you uh, uh, building an immunity. We build up natural immunity to coronaviruses all the time. Do people die of uh, uh, pneumonias and flus and whatnot? Yes. I mean, at least if you believe in that particular uh, paradigm of how humans uh, generate illnesses uh, in particular at the end of their life. Uh, there are those out there that do not believe that. They don't believe in that uh, germ theory. Uh, there's others that, There's been a host of theories that have been propagated over time. And I'm just going riffing here. This is just uh, ideas. Doesn't mean I'm an expert in all these areas, but there's there's been plenty of uh, people who have uh, developed uh, ideas about this. And oh, by the way, along the way, we just ignore therapeutics, uh, building a strong human immune system. The idea of you know having 
good vitamin D levels, vitamin C levels, uh, having a metabolism that works properly, uh, having good heart health, good have a good respiratory health, the whole the whole kit and caboodle when it comes to how it is that you achieve the ability to be a strong person who can fight off a flu, something that's passable. And the thing is, is people who are older, much older, their immune systems are waning. This is just reality. People don't seem to understand this, which is going to lead to this next uh, um, particular um, <clears throat> presentation done by Dr. Guafeng. Uh, He's going to talk about it from a neurological standpoint about the fact that uh, the, uh, the ability to make changes um, are, are limited at this time in certain ways. And of course, you know, there are opportunities that he is going to introduce you to. So I'll let him do the talking for about 20 minutes. There'll be people that would, if they listen to this broadcast, will uh, come to their own differing conclusions, but we'll let him go ahead and talk. The theme of his presentation is what if breakthrough technologies could make us smarter. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Goping Fang to Purdue. Thank you, Dr. Park, for the wonderful introduction. And uh, it's a great honor to be part of the uh, 150 uh, celebration for the wonderful history of Purdue University. And I'm very glad to be here. Uh, I toured the campus and had a wonderful time meeting with uh, many um, extremely uh, talented students and, uh, and the faculty members. So, uh, so the day so far is great. As long as don't, I don't screw up with this last part, it will be a wonderful visit. So I'm, I'm trying to do my best. So today I want to, um, instead of presenting my own work, uh, I want to discuss with you uh, some of the new technology that has been um, uh, developed and uh, how this new technology may affect our daily life and for both us and uh, maybe for benefiting uh, of a lot of patients. So uh, you probably know, just um, I'm focusing on how can we change our in, uh, you know, um, cognitive ability, which is our intelligence, and you probably know um, intelligence just like every other um, human trait, uh, whether it's behavior or actions, it's a bell curve, right? So most of us are in the middle, but there are a few of extremely talented ones like you and on the, the one side. And then many of, our, many of us always wish one as smart as Einstein, right? But they are also on the other side of the curve, which, uh, you know, um, some of them... Um, uh, just have a um, you know, normal function, but other than at extremely uh, um, other side of the curve, maybe you uh, need help that they can have a normal life just like we have. So how do we, um, so how do we uh, potentially can move this bell curve all squeezed to this side? Right? That's, you know, where, uh, if they say, if, if there's a way can improve yourself or your kids uh, of their in- intelligence, will you do it? Now there's a possibility we can do that. So, and then the question is, who should do it, who, who should decide, and who should pay for it? All these are questions that I'm, I want to discuss with you briefly and tell you the technology, why we think we can do this now. So, what determines, so, so IQ actually is very closely linked to success, right? This has, there are a lot of studies. This is just a table I borrowed, you know, from Kaufman and show that the, uh, you know, what kind of professional you do is highly linked to whether it's child, uh, child, linked to your, not only your child, uh, your adult IQ, but also linked to your, 
the IQ when you were a child. So, so this is, you know, depend on what kind of IQ almost determine what kind of uh, successful career you can do. So the question is what determines IQ? What determines our intelligence? So how do you decide that? So probably the best evidence is come from study twins, right? You have twins and identical twins, which you have almost identical genetic material, right? So identical genetic, not even almost, it's identical genetic DNA material. Then you can be raised in the same family or can be adopted into different family or even different continent, right? So then you can study, do, does their IQ same or different, right? So this can determine, is the IQ determined by genetic material more or uh, uh, environmental uh, factors more? So this is the, uh, the, the, the um, uh, kind of one of the generalized results, right? So this on the left side, y-axis, you can see similarity of, of, of intelligence scores, the IQ, their correlations, and these are the raising conditions. All of them are from identical twins. What you can see is that if identical twins are reared together in the same family, you see they are very, very similar IQs, almost 90% identical, right? So it's correlation. But if they are separated into different families or different continents or different countries, you can see that they are actually also very close, but not as close as the identical twins. But it's still uh, around, uh, above 70%. That means the majority of intelligence are determined actually by genetic material. And environment do play some uh, role, but much smaller than the, uh, than the genetic material. So you can see uh, whether they are identical twins or, or non-identical twins and the siblings and unrelated. So you can see that there's a direct correlation between the genetic uh, uh, um, factors and, the in, uh, and IQ, the intelligence. So then, so then comes, so uh, how do ge genetics uh, determine the intelligence, right? So, so, so based on twin studies, so heritability is around 60 to 80%. That means genetic play a significant role, but it's not all of them. Because they play a significant role, then there's a ch chance that if you change the genetic material, you can improve or um, uh, 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 impair the intelligence, right? So, so in disease conditions such as neurodevelopment disorder, I'm going to talk about a little bit, is that you change the you have genetic mutations now lead to uh, intellectual disability. But there's also ch a chance that you could change the genetic uh, material and make human much more intelligent. So, and, but how genetics determine the intelligence? So luckily or unluckily, in general, it's not determined by one gene. So, so uh, how do you study that? You basically, we call it GWAS, genome-wide association studies. You can study hundreds of thousands of uh, people with high IQ, IQ compared with hundreds of thousands of people with lower IQ to see what the differences come out. So this is called GWAS studies. That, uh, what it, what uh, it shows is almost like many other common traits, right? like height. Height is not determined. Height is very heritable, right? If your parents are tall, the chances you are tall is very, very high. But they are not determined by one gene. It's determined by multiple genes. We call it polygenic. So there are GWAS studies for, uh, for uh, IQs. Uh, at least one of the studies show there are over 500 genes actually involved or related or correlated with, with your IQ. So that means that your intelligence is mostly genetically determined but not uh, determined by a single gene, which is probably a good thing, right? So then each gene only play a very small role. So that have a ch make a challenge for how do we change the genetic material, make humans smarter, right? 
So, however, on the other hand, single gene mutations can cause very severe intellectual disability, right? We have saw many, many of them, uh, uh, neurodevelopment disorders uh, with very low IQ. Like today, uh, one of them, uh, I use the example, uh, average IQ is only 40. So they can never live independently. So we need to find a way to correct this problem so these people can live independently and uh, uh, have a normal life. So, and the... Because of the new technology, now we could potentially develop, because it's a single gene, right? We can correct this gene uh, mutation and actually uh, uh, dramatically improve or even cure this intellectual disability and really change people's life. So, and, uh, so because of this genetic engineering, it could be basically part of daily life now, if, whether it's treated patient or include, uh, improved intelligence. So... What is the new technology? So the new technology you probably heard, at least some of you have already heard, it's called CRISPR technology. Basically, it's a new type of genome editing technology. The idea is that this is basically a system used by bacteria to destroy viral DNA. Right? Bacteria, uh, you know, bacteriophage, which is a virus to kill the uh, bacteria, and whenever they inject the DNA into the bacteria, bacteria will... Uh, take some of the DNA, integrate it into their chromosome. So next time, if it survives, next time you come, I know, I'm going to destroy you. So these are the, the uh, uh, systems that uh, you, we can now have been developed to use to, uh, to manipulate the mammalian genes. So the idea is that you have uh, uh, this, uh, this, so this is called Cas9. The Cas9 is a nucleus. It can cut the DNA. So because the uh, virus DNA coming and uh, incorporated into the uh, bacterial DNA, bacteria actually remember it. So next time, if the uh, virus uh, comes again, the virus will, uh, the bacteria will release a piece of DNA, uh, the RNA, uh, uh, used as a guide RNA, guided the, the uh, basically the Cas9, the nucleus to the viral DNA and cut it. So so that will destroy the virus, right? So now. Scientists, uh, many of them, and I listed here, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, Champagnier Lab, Feinzang's Lab at uh, MIT, and the Donner's Lab at Berkeley, George Church Lab at Harvard, they actually uh, changed the system. Now we can use it to manipulate almost any cell type, in any species almost. So the idea is you use the system, you design whatever you want. It's, it's a guideline. So as long as match the gene, it will bind it to the DNA, then you can cut the DNA. So now we have genome, all the genome sequences, so we can specifically design a guide RNA and bind to whatever gene you want to cut, uh, you want to manipulate, it will cut the DNA. Now that gene is cut, your cell will try to fix it, right? So that's how we get UV irradiated, we, we, you go to a beach, your DNA is probably damaged in some cells, but you don't get a cancer because your, your, cell, your cells always try to repair it, and most of the time, repair perfectly. So, however, occasionally they make mistakes. Once they make mistakes, you will have cancer or you will have other problems or cell may die. So in this case, basically you will have a mutation. That's how you can ge generate genetic mutation now in any species. On the other hand, if you say, okay, I want to change this gene because I know if I put this, change this amino acid, will make, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, will collect the mutation for humans. And then you can put a template we call it precise, uh, precise integration. You can replace the piece of DNA with whatever you provide. So they, this made it possible to do anything, right? You can generate mutation, 
you can repair mutation. So if you, we know if the patient have a, a, a single gene mutation, let's say uh, rat syndrome. Rat syndrome affecting, affecting many, many of the girls, and the, uh, the, uh, they were born normal. Then after two years later, they started deteriorating. Right? Many of them will die at a, a very young age. So we, we know these are, are single gene mutation called MECP2. We now can potentially go in, correct the mutation. They will be probably live normal life. So, so this you can do both, make genetic models, or you can repair human mutations. So this technology is unbelievably powerful and efficient. So it can be basically, it uh, can do multiple purposes now. I'm not going to go a lot of details, but you can, I mentioned you can do make mutations or you can repair mutations, we call it knockings. But the most important thing, it, it's highly efficient. It can use almost any species. You can use animals, plants, hum, even humans, right? So, and you, so many of them may have multiple, let's say intelligence is determined by 500 genes, but maybe there are five genes very important. And if you change it, you can slightly move the bell curve, right? So this system can multiplex. You can do five genes at the same time. So this is, now it's possible. So this has been now in the, it's only less than four years, uh, 20, so it's less than six years old actually, but it has been widely used, right? So uh, some of the uh, clinical trials are being studied to try to correct some of mutations. And now, so give you a, a, a couple of examples. One example is, you know, we can now genetic engineering pick as an organ, donor, uh, organ donors, right? So we, you know, there are a lot of patients waiting for a long time for kidney uh, transplant, right? So now the idea is that you can actually modify the, uh, the um, you know, DNA in the pig that will have a match and will get rid of all the, you know, uh, uh, viral, uh, retroviral uh, fragment in the pig DNA, which is detrimental to humans, and you correct it, then you basically can, uh, every time you need, you can harvest the kidney from pig and the transplant to the patient, right? So my joke is, we can do any of these things. So in the future, when you get old, your organ can be replaced one by one by pig. You walk like everything in your body is a pig, except your head is the, still human, right? So, but they are functional, right? No one can tell. And uh, so, the other, uh, so the other really important uh, implication, which is uh, even more direct and more impactful, is for, uh, for gene therapy, right? So um, there are many, many severe neurodevelopment disorders. You many of them you probably know, and you probably encountered, or you have relatively related. These are patients who have very severe neurodevelopment disorder. They are very low IQ, right? So they cannot live independently. And these are a very big problem for not only for the patient, but also for the family. So uh, one of my main research goals is to try to find ways to help these patients uh, because they, are, they are really need help to, to, uh, to be living independently. Now, these are many, many examples, including rat syndrome I mentioned, fragile X, uh, mental retardation, Phelan McDermott syndrome, uh, which is also very severe. Their average IQ is only 40. So I'm going to use Phelan McDermott syndrome tonight to show what can we do to potentially in the future help this patient. And uh, so their general features, all these have very severe intellectual disability. Then they have many other problems, including autism spectrum disorders, seizure, sleep uh, problems. And for these severe ones, actually, genetic mutation play a key role. Actually, now uh, we already know uh, so at least 25% of them are caused by mutation in a single gene. And for single gene, we now can model them, 
and we now can potentially go correct them right with this new technology or with um, a similar technologies so and so because of single gene we call a monogenic uh, mutation these are ideal for gene therapy so in the next 5 10 years you will see a lot of new gene therapy approaches to try to really cure this uh, disease i want to mention is Although these are monogenic, which means a single gene mutation, their pathology is yet generally not a single gene because each gene can affect many other genes. So it's almost impossible to find a drug that can correct all different pathways, all different processes that it disrupts. So gene therapy probably is the only way to really cure them. The other uh, approaches, circuit manipulations or pathway interference, these probably can correct part of the uh, pathology but not all of them. So I want to use Philly McDermott syndrome uh, as an example. This is a, a mutation in a gene called Shank3. Shank3 is critical for build neuron-neuron interactions we call synapse, right? A neuron is very different, brain uh, is very different from the rest of bodies. We have 80 billion neurons in the brain. We have training with the synapses, they connect each other. Neurons do not function uh, autonomously. They have to interact with other uh, neurons to make a circuit. So everything you do, every thought you have, there are millions and millions of neurons involved to form a computational uh, process, then and end up having results and have output. So even lift my hand is a very complex neural circuit problem. And so these have very low IQ, and they, they really are very intellectually dis disabled, so you need a lot of help. And so we want to see how can we uh, study them, how can we help them in the long run. So, and so these patients have uh, repetitive behaviors because they have autism spectrum disorder, they have social interaction problems, they have sensory problems. Like sensory overload is one of the major issues of autism spectrum disorder. So we made a mouse model to start with. You can see they're repetitive grooming themselves, right? And they also have social uh, interaction problems. So if uh, I can have this uh, video played. So you can see these are, on the left side is uh, two Y-type mice, on the right side two mutant mice. For Y-type mice, uh, their social is whenever the two uh, uh, mice together, they basically sniff other mice, mouses behind. That's their social interaction. It's very different from humans, but it's a social behavior. For mutant USC, they even bump into each other. They will completely ignore, right? So now they stay very far away. You see why type they are, you know, social with each other. They, they cuddling together, right? So I'm not sure this is related to human, but at least it's a very interesting biological phenomenon. What causes this? Why a single gene mutation can cause mice behavior so differently, right? So, um, then there's another phenomenon we think is also very interesting. So these are uh, two, not the Y type in the, in the right, on the right, and the mutants on the left. We just, in their home cage, we put a plastic ball in the middle, right? See what happens. This is a new thing they never saw it before. And it, so you can see Y type is very uh, uh, interesting. We explore pre pretty soon. They will uh, go on top of it. And mutants, you can see, when their head is getting close, they startle back. So that means their whisk touched it. They're very sensitive. They're, they're afraid of this thing. Right? They never will play with it, right? So this reminds us that this is called sensory overload. It's an oversensitivity, right? A lot of neurodevelopment disorder patients, including autism spectrum patients, they are very sensitive to light, noise, all these things. That, so that's why they like, one of the reasons they like stay on the side and alone. Right? So this is a good model probably to study why, what is the, now our study show they actually have a, um, um, 
hyperactivity in their sensory cortex, actually. Whenever they receive information, their neurons are hyperactive. So, so now we can find a way to try to, you see the Y type is on top of it, they are never getting even close to them. So these models help us to understand how, how these genetic mutations generate this kind of, uh, that kind of behavior. So, so then the, the question is, although this behavior you can see in adults, um, these are all neurodevelopment disorders. If we develop a gene therapy or treatment, can we actually reverse it later on, right? There's a reason we call it neurodevelopment disorder because it's a development defect. So a lot of things when you develop afterwards, you cannot reverse, right? We call it a critical window, right? So I have an accent because I didn't grow up here. My, I, I came 29 years old, so i already way past my critical period, so my English is not... Uh, as good as anyone or my son who you cannot tell if you don't see him that he, has a, he, he was my son, right? So, so this is, a, so the question is, how do you tell? Can you, how can we test what age we can treat a patient in the future still effective? So we designed a genetic ways to test in mice first. So basically, we let the mouse grow like mutant. Then in any age, we can give a drug to restore the gene function, right? Just like gene therapy, similarly, and see, what can you reverse? What you cannot, can, can, you cannot reverse. So, so we did that. What we found is in adult, when you these mice are four months old, which is complete adult, and then you reverse, you you re-express the gene. Can you reverse anything? Surprisingly, uh, in some of the brain regions, you can. So the top figure is the electrophysiology. Look at the synaptic function; they are restored. The bottom is the structural function. Not only functionally, you can restore. But structurally, you can make new connections. That is very exciting, right? So you can make new connections. That means if whatever defect you have in this brain area, this is striatum, which is more very important for motor and repetitive behavior, all these things, and you can restore them. Now, the, do they restore the behavior? Yes. So you can see this is, a, I saw they have repetitive compulsive grooming that skin off, but after you turn it on, the hair grow back. The, the only difference is the hair grow back is white. This has something to do with the drug we induce for, for the, uh, for the uh, gene expression. Um, but they also restore the, uh, the social behavior. So, so, so um, and in the middle is the knockout, this is the Y type. You put the mice, let them choose whether they want to interact with the mice or interact with the object. You can see Y type like interact with the mice is the heat map and mutant like the object. But once you restore the gene expression adult, they, they now go back to like uh, interact with other mice. So that means that some aspect can be restored even in adult. They give us a hope. However, that's not the whole story. There are actually things you cannot reverse. So a lot of things you cannot reverse. For example, there are motor defects. This is what we call the open field. You just let the mouse run around to measure their activity. You can see that the Y type on the top line, mutant and restored, no difference. So, so, so there are things you cannot. What you cannot? Anxiety you cannot, motor defect you cannot. Also these you know, uh, sensory defect, we call it novel object phobia, you cannot restore. So there are many things you cannot restore them in adult. So now, if, what if I turn the gene on earlier, right? Before they become adult. This is turned on after three weeks of birth, and you can see many things that we cannot restore before, now you can restore them. So this tells us that if the mice are humans, which they are not, we can conclude right now that at least in mice, neuronal connection and function in the adult brain have certain plasticity. In certain part of the brain, they are plastic. Even if you have developmental defect, we can still restore them in mice. Right? 
But there are also critical development windows that we people have studied for decades that we know their language, there are many uh, visual, you know, uh, uh, critical windows. These critical development windows are key. That many of them, once you pass the critical window, we cannot restore anymore. That means we really have to treat it as early as possible if we want a full restoration of function in neural development. It's the same thing. If we want to improve intelligence, we may also want to deal with it much earlier, right? Because what is the intelligence? What is the cognition? Cognition basically is your computation power in your brain, right? So they depend on the connections, right? So if you wire something wrong, unless you correct that wiring in a computer, your computer is not going to work very well, right? So it's the same kind of thing. But your connection made during development, refined after birth usually. So that's critical period, you still have plasticity. After you pass that, you don't have that plasticity. So that's why the only certain part of brain is plastic. The one I showed you is plastic, is striatum. Striatum is for habit formation, motor activity. Even at my age, I can still pick up a bad habit. That's why this is very plastic. But there are a lot of things. People say, oh, older people are very stubborn. Yes, our cortex is fixed. We cannot change our views anymore. Uh, much harder to change our views anymore. So there are different brain regions have different plasticity. So the good news, if, my, if mice are humans, there is a postnatal window. That means we don't have to deal with embryonically because we cannot even diagnose them. That means after birth, we still have a window that are called a critical window. We can still diagnose them, figure out a way to treat them, and correct them. So this is the hope that this might be uh, effective. Now, this is all our mice, right? I was specifically written here if mice are like humans. Unfortunately, they are not, right? So there are questions you could ask yourself around this thing. One, uh, and this is, this is, I'm taking a purely, or I won't say purely, but uh, I'm going to take a very um, unemotional uh, viewpoint on this. Uh, by this, I'm, I'm making a purely business case. So one, why would you ever bother with anybody with a 40 IQ? Um, when you're looking at the the spectrum there, I know many people will say, well, you're we're trying to correct them and, and correct and improve their lives and stuff like that. The business, it's like anything else. There is a, um, there's very little return on investment for taking somebody from, say, a 40 IQ to 100 IQ. Making them average is not helpful to society if you wanted to be brutally honest. Taking somebody from 100 IQ to 140 IQ would be uh, business case beneficial, or taking somebody from, say, 130 IQ and turning them into 160 IQ, that would be really beneficial. So this idea of shifting the bell curve on people, you still have a variation unless you don't want a variation. In order to not get a variation, wouldn't you take those uh, 500 uh, uh, genetic markers and align them so that you could create a, a, a super um, superhuman? Somebody with... Uh, a measurable IQ, say, maybe the measurable IQ then becomes 200, and that becomes the standard uh, status quo. Um, you can see where that goes. So why would you why would you invest uh, limited resources? Because there's finite resources, at least 
There's a finite planet, there's finite time, there's finite whatever. Unless, of course, another thing is, why would you let humans even procreate naturally? Why would you just not put them in an artificial womb, uh, gather the genetic material from uh, acceptable, the currently acceptable uh, male and females that you want to put together, and then, uh, as he said, postnatal or post, uh, post-birth, modify or augment them to generate a superior race or superior human being, if you want to call it that, instead of a race. <clears throat> you see where I'm going with that. There is no, there's no benefit to taking a... For, uh, I know people are going to look at that and say, you're just being very cruel and unethical. It's like, well, what do you think these people are doing? They're not, they're not in this. They're in the, there's a cost-benefit analysis to everything. There's a um, monetary price or a data price or a humanity price, a social uh, benefit to certain things. And this is where you go with this, the ethical behavior. I mean, there's been many people who've uh, brought about the idea of what the, the human plan, the planet can support in terms of the Malthusian concept of one billion people. And these people are connected to this. Now, he's, you know, he, he brought up the idea of IQ he brought up a particular number. He said that they can't live independently. Why would you want somebody who becomes a marginal worker? Why would you? Uh, and like I said, why would you like? Why would you even bother with human uh, human procreation being done naturally? Uh, if if you can generate an egg in a lab and generate sperm, the necessary sperm, uh, and create that and put that together. And what if you want to augment it with something further beyond that? Say you augment it with a, a mecha- uh, mechanism, a me- mechanical uh, technology, uh, make them not only superhuman, but make it based upon uh, the ability to not be, make their uh, gene, um, what would you say, your replication. Your cells are replicating. There's like a, a, the replication process is roughly about 100,000 cells per second. Over seven years, you can replace your your body replaces all of its cells. At least that's the concept that I've been uh, uh, introduced to. It could be variable, it could be longer, it could be shorter. At a younger age, your cells are replicating uh, almost perfectly. And when I say almost perfectly, your cells, uh, you know, uh, obviously when they reproduce, uh, they may have a, a degradation along the way. As you get older, your degradation, your ability to replicate cells at a uh, a premium operation uh, becomes, uh, um, in, other, in other words, to keep uh, replicating your, like, you know, it's basically, that's where you get all the degenerative g- diseases and whatnot. I know there'll be somebody out there that knows more about this, and that's great. I'm just talking about high concept here. The idea is, is that, you know, as we get older, our bodies are less, have less capacity to do that. Now, he's talking about being able to fix that fix the errors, fix the uh, gene editing. Uh, so he said there are certain things you can do and certain things you can't do. You know, he's saying there are limitations. Do you think that the limitations are going to continue to exist in five years from now? Are they going to come up with a way around that? Um, and they're going to have to experiment. And I, I, and just to be clear, they're not just going to experiment on mice. They're going to experiment on human beings. Do you think that is ethical? 
they probably already are uh, substantially experimenting uh, in certain places around the world, in particular China, uh, because they have a captured population that they can do that with, uh, irrespective of their rights. The idea of having human rights or ethical universal rights, that becomes the, the question there. Who gets to decide? Who's going to have the who is going to have the obvious propensity to want to uh, be the first in line to do this? If they, the only reason why, say for example, a a very rich and successful person who wants to uh, have a very broad and powerful family uh, to be successors to his to his or her, um, if you if you even believe in a his or her. Uh, their uh, empire, in whatever case that is, they're only going to allow that to be happening with their their brood or offspring at this particular point, based upon the ability that that they know they can be assured that uh, the experimentation has been done at the human human level, and they've uh, more than prototyped that, and they've gone to an alpha or a, a beta test or beyond beta testing uh, to achieve their goal. I'm just bringing this up because it's highly, highly unusual for us to just think that this isn't where this is heading. Because this is exactly where it's heading. This has always been the the striving for perfection and eventually elimination of the human species. Uh, you know, as uh, uh, Harari has uh, intimated, uh, the AI, the general intelligence that they're trying to get to a singularity. I mean, that's where the Ben Gersels are coming in. Um, and they want to take the, the capacities of many humans, the collaboration of uh, brain power, and they're not going to, they're not going to, they're not going to suffer low IQ human beings. They're just not. They're not. They already want to replace most people with robotics or robots and AI to gener- basically do all the work. People think, oh well, no, they're they're trying to make life easier for the rest of us so that we can just be you know, put into a metaverse or a alternative uh, virtual reality and we can be happy and content and not be unhappy and upset. They because they they as Harari also said, uh, will they'll know more about us than we know about ourselves. The idea is that they'll have this intimate knowledge of us and know exactly what makes us happy and how to uh, achieve that but do you think they're going to waste their efforts on people that are what they determine inferior or imperfect or farther further from perfection than they are it becomes a contest most people don't seem to realize that life is Pareto it's not normal and by that I mean the curve at the uh, the the most powerful most successful in any uh, subject or anything you're dealing with, it operates on a Pareto analysis. Uh, the very, very top holds the highest amount of any, like say, say the top 0.01% own, say, 50% of the patents on, on a particular uh, concept. Yeah, there's only a handful of people. They own the most unique, powerful, and they've used their human uh, capacity of intellect to get that. Or creativity—that's another thing too. Are we? Are we? Uh, are we to uh, go away from that? Are we trying to maximize human beings based upon their intellectual quotient, their ability to, uh, their mathematical skills and power to solve problems? 
Are we trying? What are we maximizing here? What's the maximizing function? Are we trying to maximize happiness? Are we maximizing the uh, the utility to solve uh, all these human problems? I mean, there's questions that have to be answered. Oh, we can uh, we can maximize across the whole host of things. Well, that's not that's not true. That's not going to happen. There's always trade-offs with anything. There's not there. And what is that optimal point? And do you want do you want these people to decide what that optimal point is? That there's another question. He's a technocrat. No, he isn't going to make that final call. But he's a technocrat. He's valuable. He's resourceful. They're going to uh, utilize him to achieve this goal. The people. When I say they, people say, well, "Who is they?" Okay, who is they? They are the people who own substantial financial resources and assets called land and property, oil, so that they can they can be. Uh, the prince of Saudi Arabia, the royal prince. They can be the Rothschilds, the Rockefellers. They can be the the royal family uh, that own uh, land. And, and de- they determine from top down, they're through their luxury beliefs. That's another concept that most people are, 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 are scarcely aware of. There's been people writing PhD theses on the idea that the luxury beliefs is the lower classes shouldn't be producing um they produce too much carbon, they produce too many kids, they use too many resources, etc. That's what this this is a, a driving torch. Like I said, this guy isn't worried about the 40 IQ. He's using that, he uses that to buttress his off. Okay, for example, how many people with 40 IQ out there? How many people are out there with 60 IQ? How many people are there like that Did you, that you know, that you can actually put your finger on and say, I know that person? I mean, it's a very small percentage, very, it's not even a percent, <laughs> it's not even half a percent, but let's just say it is. But why would they even let that, let that, uh, let that, allow that to happen? And by that, I mean, wouldn't they, uh, <laughs> if they want to know what's under your skin, they're going to know what your IQ potential is. They're going to know, what, and they're not going to allow you to breed with another person, a woman, that has the potentiality that those genetic conflicts they're going to they're going to evaluate uh, your ability to to produce something of value and that's a, that's just first order. The second order is the, why would they even let you uh, naturally produce to begin with? Why wouldn't they want to select the best of the best? I mean that's a rational discussion. I mean why would you why would you ever allow that to go on? <laughs> It it wouldn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. I'm 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 not saying that from a. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm saying that is the cold hearted fact that they would not allow that to occur because it wouldn't. It doesn't. It doesn't fit with their their modus operandi. Their mode of operation. They're trying to They're trying to control humanity. They want to control our resources. They want to control the how it's divvied up. Everybody will say, well, everybody should have an equal share. So they want a command control economy or better. And, and guess what? The easiest way to make that work based upon AI technology is to have a lot less variables. And variables, I'm talking about you. You're a variable. The more variables that they have, 7 billion, is way too inconvenient. So wouldn't they, <laughs> they would want to do a pure a case of natural selection. They want to naturally select who who uh, whose genes are the most important, the most viable, the most 
unique that will produce uh, higher and higher IQs. They want to produce something that's greater than their master, which is, for example, if you don't believe there's any God out there, and let's just throw that argument out there, why would you, you know, you want to produce something that's better than yourself, more, more perfected. You're going to take whatever AI you have this collect. That's why they want to get to a collective singularity. They want to be able to take. So, for example, this guy's particular brain power. Uh, another scientist whose expertise is in a different field, but these uh, these fields together augment to create even more. So, someone's mapping this out. They're mapping out, say, the top fifty brains, and you can collect that intellectual horsepower together. And they come up with a whole new thing, and that whole new thing is going to drive back, and they're gonna, it's going to decipher or select what needs to be done in in the course of humanity. And they think they've gotten the wheel. See, they 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 have the gene, they they have the human genome. They he said pretty much they can do anything they want with just about any animal. So it's a, you know, it, it's a very complex subject. So based upon that. This isn't just the first time this has been kicked around as an idea. So we're going to go back to uh, some old history. I'm going to play about, oh, probably, I'll see if I can play 10 minutes of it. i got to skip some commercials in it. I recorded this just last night, but it, it, it echoes a lot of the sentiments that I'm just mentioning. And by the way, full disclosure, I'm not supportive of this man's ideas or your Harari's ideas. When I say I'm not supportive, that means I'm not supportive. It, don't misinterpret that in any way. I was just giving a very cool... I was taking uh, their viewpoint, for example. I'm just qualifying that. So if anyone listens to this to this extent, they will understand that I'm not advocating for this at all. I'm just, I'm just playing out their... I'm laying out what I think I perceive as their ultimate agenda or ultimate goal why would you go through all the process of of trying to um <laughs> trying to benefit those that will and unless they unless he he's going to tell me that he can take somebody with a 40 iq and turn them into a super genius which maybe he can i don't know do you really believe that's the case do you believe that they would go through an alt how much what would be the what would be the investment cost in terms of time and expertise and oh by the way this basis that that a scientist can be trained up to do this in a ethical and always correct manner and not and that there wouldn't be any further knock-on events what if he turns on the wrong gene that just happens to turn this person to say they are become a super genius but they also become super malevolent and they are very cold and calculating and they also have this superior mind just think about that. These are questions that have to be uh, assessed. Be careful what you be careful what you wish for out there in terms of the ability to change yourself. You might get more than what you're what you bargain for. Your ability to have empathy. Maybe there is a uh, maybe there is an upper limit to IQ for a good reason. Maybe there's an upper limit to uh, humanity uh, because once you become that cold and that logical. Um, the ability to care about lesser beings or imperfect, more imperfect beings will uh, naturally decline. When does it, when do you reach that tipping point where your uh, your abilities will 
lend themselves to the you know this is a you know the dystopian future that I'm saying you know Harari painted as that there is a utopian and his uh, principles that he had I'm, I'm going off on a further rant here that the principles he said about you know we wouldn't want this to fall into the wrong hands you'd have a you would create a, dicta- a totalitarian dictator or uh, the idea that we should be able to monitor governments and corporations do you really think that's even achievable the answer is no it isn't because we don't have that now and what makes you think that you're going to somehow institute some some interconnected policies some who's going to monitor that council humans do you know humans they're imperfect so guess what and they're also agenda driven and the more power they have say so this this council that you set up to make sure companies and governments don't do certain things what makes you think why, why wouldn't they misuse misabuse their power you know he talked about the centralization aspect that's correct that's what they're already trying to go towards. That's why uh, the the Ben Gersels has a company called Singularity.net. He's talking about a singularity. He's talking about a singularity of general intelligence that he thinks everybody, if they if he grabbed a certain um, pool of applicants that have this general intelligence or this intelligence that they can tap into, we can create uh, evolve humanity into this new state which is what uh, Harari is talking about with the separation uh, the separation and you know as he mentions the Neanderthals died off and etc this has happened before and we need to we're trying to hasten this demise again I mean that's where we're at so anyway let me go back to the uh, this uh, particular uh, this is this is a, a presentation that was talk about the occult history of the Third Reich. So we're going to let this uh, play. Let me see if I can get this done right. So, But she did claim constant telepathic communication with her hidden masters. They had revealed to her, their chosen one, the occult history of the human race. According to Madame Blavatsky, each round of the cosmic cycle has associated with it seven root races. The first root race to evolve on Earth she calls the astral race. It was a race of pure spirit, the highest form of existence. The second race she calls the Hyperborean race. Its home was a now vanished continent in the northern ocean. The third race was the Lemurians. Blavatsky is clear about the reason for the fall of the Lemurian race. It had interbred with animals. The fourth race in the history revealed to Madame Blavatsky is the race of Atlantis. The Atlanteans had possessed psychic powers and had constructed giant cities using an energy source of mysterious origins. The Atlanteans were destroyed in a great flood. The fifth root race, Madame Blavatsky sees as the race of hope. The race that had once founded the culture of ancient Greece and soon would return man to the pinnacle of spirituality. That race she named the Aryan. By 1914, 
Blavatsky's mystical doctrine of the destiny of Aryan man has spread throughout Germany and Austria. Bert Boilermaker has implemented an enhanced benefits program to... My fault. Let me uh, fast forward this just a touch. Don't want to bore you with a commercial. Let me uh, get to this. It's right there. I might have skipped over a little bit. Let's see. News of war is greeted with unqualified enthusiasm. In all the warring nations, the emotions of militant nationalism are given free reign. In the ranks of the Austrian and German armies, there is a widespread belief that the aspirations of a generation may be satisfied at last. The unification of German-speaking peoples and the creation of a Germanic empire. To the frontline soldiers of the Imperial armies, the teachings of the Austrian clairvoyant Guido von Liszt are an inspiration. Liszt believes that in the Germans, more than in any other people, runs the blood of the mythical race called by Madame Blavatsky, the Aryans. To Liszt, the Great War is proof that the modern world with its materialism and its democracy is destroying itself. But out of war and destruction will come the victory of the German cause and the beginning of an Aryan millennium. Liszt revives the prayer of the 16th century philosopher and heretic Giordano Bruno. O Jove, let the Germans realize their own strength, and they shall not be men, but gods. have revealed to him an elite class of priest rulers. Liszt calls it the Armannenschaft. The role of the Armannenschaft was to preserve the occult knowledge of the Germans' Aryan ancestors. Liszt claims that the imposition of Christianity on the Teutonic tribes and the persecution of the followers of the old religion forced the Armanenschaft to continue its traditions in secret. Their law had lived on in the rituals and symbols of a network of secret societies. The store of occult knowledge had been preserved down the centuries by Freemasons, Rosicrucians and chivalrous orders such as the Knights Templar. So great is Liszt's influence among German and German-Austrian nationalists that many army officers have joined the secret occultist organization inspired by his teachings. The German Order, founded in May 1912, has lodges in 10 German cities. The government of the order is by a secret 12-man council of initiates, calling itself the Armanist Assembly. The future Aryan Empire will, according to Liszt, be governed by a similar council of initiates, a new Armanenschaft. In the design of the future SS, Liszt's Armanist Assembly will 
not be forgotten. List's prediction that the Great War would see the victory of Imperial Germany over its democratic and degenerate enemies will not be fulfilled. By 1918, the German economy is in ruins and the Kaiser's armies are crumbling. To the men at the front, the failure of the Imperial war machine is inexplicable. In 1918, Germany had won several major battles. The Russian enemy had already collapsed. Theories of a conspiracy abound. Many believe that Germany has been betrayed from within. The blame is placed squarely on the shoulders of the traditional targets of the German nationalist movements, capitalists, Democrats, and Jews. To the followers of Guido von Liszt, all that is valuable seems irretrievably lost. A government of unknown politicians has accepted the humiliating terms of the Versailles Treaty. Worst of all, the Kaiser and the German princes have abdicated. Germany has become a democratic republic. The abdication of the Kaiser is a stunning blow to the occultists of the German order. Guido von Liszt had taught that the aristocracy of Germany had been founded in ancient times by the Armannenschaft itself. In the aristocracy was to be found the purest of Aryan blood, and with it the strongest remaining traces of the Aryan's psychic powers. In the aftermath of the Great War, faced with the twin threat of democracy and socialism, traditionalists eagerly embrace Liszt's mystical belief in the German nobility. But by now, a new concept of aristocracy is in the process of development. Side by side with the teachings of Liszt, it will become the cornerstone of Nazi ideology and the future SS. Since the mid-19th century, the evolutionary theories of Charles Darwin had challenged religious beliefs held sacred for centuries. But by the end of the Great War, many physicians, scientists and politicians have come to see in Darwinism a formula for social and political action. Belief in the equality of man is seen as simply unscientific. The new slogan is, the survival of the fittest. In Darwin's The Descent of Man, published in 1871, he speculates on the effect of modern medicine on the future course of human evolution. With savages, the weak in body or mind are soon eliminated. We civilized men, on the other hand, do our best to check the process of elimination. Thus, the weak members of civilized society propagate their kind. This, argues Darwin, must be highly injurious to the race of man. Excepting in the case of man himself, hardly anyone is so ignorant as to allow his worst animals to breed. In Britain, the family planning movement, led by the scientist Marie Stopes, is preoccupied with the supposed threat to the health of the race posed by uncontrolled breeding. Mari Stopes' work on birth control, Wise Parenthood, first published in 1918, is dedicated to all those who wish to see our race grow in strength and beauty.
Stokes is concerned with the tendency revealed by the national census for the lower classes to produce more children than the upper classes. The numbers of our population, she states, increasingly tend to be made up from the less thrifty and the less conscientious. In America, the compulsory sterilization of the mentally handicapped, of alcoholics and of persistent criminals has been legal in certain states since 1907. Mari Stopes advocates similar policies for Britain, including the sterilization of male children with an epileptic or mentally handicapped parent, uncle or aunt. The family planning movement is part of a broader movement aimed at directing and accelerating the evolution of the human race by selective breeding. This new science calls itself eugenics. By 1918, eugenics has become so influential that the British Medical Journal publishes an article in which a noted physician can write there is no equality in nature among children nor among adults. And if there is to be a much needed improvement in the race, we must breed from the physically, morally and intellectually fit. From Britain, eugenics spreads to Germany, acquiring the new name racial hygiene. University departments and institutes are founded devoted to the new science. By the 1920s, eugenics has won widespread support amongst the German medical establishment. It has also had a profound effect on the doctrines of the German occultists. In 1919, Guido von Liszt, a prophet of the Aryan millennium, dies in Berlin at the age of 70. His place as Germany's leading mystic and Aryan visionary has been taken by Jörg Lutz. Lutz, an ex-Cistercian monk and respected biblical scholar, will have a profound impact on the development of Nazi ideology and on the structure and ritual of the future SS. Lance has blended the Aryan occultism of Guido von Liszt and the principles of the science of eugenics. He calls his new doctrine Theozoology. Theozoology is an occult religion of race. Inspired by Madame Blavatsky's mystical history of racial evolution, Lance claims that the decline of the Aryans occurred because they had committed bestiality with a subhuman species. The result was the creation of many mixed races, races whose very existence threatens the rightful dominance of the Aryans. Like Liszt, Lance believed that the early Aryans possessed the power of telepathy. Into So there's a brief, that's a pretty pretty profound uh, analysis that was done. Uh, this is an older, um, I mean, it's a, all the imagery is uh, from the time frame that uh, they're discussing, kind of, sort of, um, the early uh, 20th century. And 
this is what I'm echoing, or this is echoing what's kind of being done today. It's a different, it's a different concept. I know there'll be people that will uh, dismiss this, but it's it, it's the same kind of extremist ideology. Klaus Schwab is not something you know. He was born in Austria in 1938. Uh, evidently, uh, he has a Germanic, obviously, background. Uh, he. He's very open about his revolution, his fourth industrial revolution, and this uh, great reset that he rolled out. Um, these grand narratives in in the, the transhumanism that is involved in this. So you, 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 it's it's the same sort of uh, ideology. Um, for example, Bill Bill Gates, you know. It's, uh, uh, his father was the head of Planned Parenthood. Where's Planned Parenthood? That comes straight out of eugenics. Uh, Margaret Sanger, that was the United States uh, head of uh, Planned Parenthood. She was a all. She was a pure racist. She uh, her adapted her ideology in the 1910s, 1920s. Uh, very much. Uh, these echoes don't they. They're not happening by these. These are not by accident. These are actually. <laughs> this is not a. Uh, this is not a bug. This is a feature of this entire uh, agenda. It goes over and over again, and uh, now they just have better technology, and they want now they want to have better systems in place to to uh, get to what they're trying to achieve. You know, you may you can ignore. You can ignore the reality, and granted, most of us don't see this because uh, it's being operated on in the background. You know, these people have conferences overseas. Notice they use Davos consistently. Davos is uh, located in a neutral country for the last 200 years, uh, Switzerland, I think 1815. So, I mean, they're over there, they talk, and they it's a... It's a it's a big club and you're not in it, as George Carlin would say, and uh, they invite over only the people that are willing to be a part of this little clique. Uh, the Jeff Bezos, for example, Jeff Bezos left Amazon in July of 2021, and he started a, uh, I think it's called uh, uh, Los Altos. It's a lab that they're trying to work on uh, life extension. That's what it says, life extension. They're looking for 150 plus years. Don't you think that these people are trying to move towards being a, a super class of, well, I call them predators, but other people will call them something else. So if they can live to be 150 years or more longer, I'm sure they want to live forever. They want to put their consciousness uh, up to that level. Why would they want the The only reason why they want any, any, anybody, uh, uh, alive of the normal humanity or uh, the, the the bifurcation of humanity as Novo, uh, Yuval Harari has said uh, the bifurcation of uh, homo sapiens that some will just evolve into this cast of extra superhuman abilities and powers and the rest of us uh, the rest of us that would be me and everybody who would listen to this broadcast we will be um Selected for a worker class, and we will we will wait on these people hand and foot. They will have their minions, their soldiers, their soup, maybe their AI technologies, their robots. That if we get out of line, they will just get rid of us. 
They will keep us perpetually in a feudalistic uh, state. You will own nothing and you will be happy or you will die. That's the way this is set up. This is what they, when uh, Yuval talked about how these people fear their power. No, they don't fear their power. If they feared their power, uh, they would be very open about having an open conversation and talk about the things that they are experiencing and they would get they would be open for questioning they would be open for normal people having questions to them and they would actually interact with us but they don't interact with us they talk down to us that's why they have these forms and they have the panel there the panel is pre pre uh, uh pre uh, pre-ascribed or pre-subscribed uh whatever they uh, what i'm saying is is that the they're 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 cherry picked. They're there for they're there because they won't question them. They won't uh, question their agenda. They won't uh, ask too many uh, difficult questions. Or if they do ask a difficult question, that will be the last time they ask a difficult question. Um, you never. They put on presentations. They put on these uh, extravagant uh, you know talks about climate change and everything else that's uh, wrapped up in their mystical you know they have all the answers just let us run the planet there was a a video where uh, a lady said well it it seems that we're not liked by the people around the world you know even though we're collectively getting along and collaborating together the rest of humanity doesn't like us that's this lady said this out loud at one of these conferences i'm thinking you talk about how divorced from reality that person is uh, and, and when I say re- she 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 looks at us as just being different, like they're just like super, they're like superstars that they they they, they don't even have they 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 ride on these Lear jets or whatever, they live a high end lifestyle, they bounce around from conference to conference, they produce nothing, they they transfer wealth around, and we don't know. We don't know about all the the, the hidden machines. They they've they've literally they've decided that they are so class conscious that they're class conscious. But now it's turning into they want to be a, a different species from us. They want to live a longer life. They want to be higher. In, they want to have this. Uh, they want to lord over whatever remains of us. You know, people throw conjectures around as to how many people they actually want on this earth to achieve their goals and what they're willing to do to put us against, pit us against each other. And, and, and there are people out there that don't understand that they, that's the reason why they collected all this data. They used it so they could come up with the best uh, strategies for dividing and conquering us because uh, it's always divide and conquer. The idea is, is if you keep the, keep the masses uh, based upon their intellectual capacities, especially they know how to manipulate a whole host of IQs based upon their motivations to do whatever they're supposed to do. And uh, if you're a certain uh, distance away, if you're not uh, attuned enough to understand um, the conversation, uh, uh, for example, say somebody who's just a, a typical worker bee who who's a, mi- uh, a mid-level IQ, they're not going to, uh, they're not going to take kindly to anybody trying to change their alter their perceptions based upon the things that they've been indoctrinated with or the amount of media they've taken in and what the media tells them because they trust them they've been that's the reason why the, the yuval harari 
mentioned there in that one little clip at the very end. He was very, you know, there's these nationalist forces that, that have told us not to trust, you know, that that are uh, trying to take down science and, and, and uh, uh, media outlets and stuff like that. You notice that. That's very particular. They're very upset about that because in order for them to control us, they have to control the, the media you consume and the science that you trust. And they want you to trust that the pharmaceutical technologies are correct, that uh, any any dissenting voice is obviously meant to lead you astray, even though that dissenting voice doesn't have the monetary wherewithal or uh, a monetary benefit that's going, I mean, a, a marginal or nominal. Say, for example, I'm say if I was selling you something for 20 bucks and uh, 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 saying that this is, uh, uh, you know, if you take this uh, once a day for two months, you'll feel better or you'll, your dietary issues will go away or you'll be sharper neurologically or whatever. And if it, it, it even if the placebo effect is in 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 in, in place, it does ha- happen to help. Uh, you know, is it worth twenty bucks to you? Is that is that a is that going to be harmful in relationship to somebody who says, well, if you want to increase your IQ by fifteen points, but if you you have to pay me twenty five thousand dollars to do it, uh, but I don't know what the long term impacts of uh, your uh, your IQ improvement will be, uh, and uh, you know there may be some knock-on effects. Maybe maybe you only live a, maybe you live five years less, but you have a higher IQ during that time. Is it worth it? I don't know. I don't. That person won't know either. They won't be able to do the calc do the calculation because they have already have a their IQ isn't high enough to make that calculation. And I can guarantee you the people that are running this aren't going to give them the insight or the answer to that question. They're going to leave. They're going to say, well, that person has free will. Yeah, you have that free will, but uh, yeah, they don't want you to have free will. They want to take that away from you. I know this is kind of a dark uh, road to go down for this uh, podcast, but I think it's important to realize that this is this is occurring. There are some people that will nix it or say, no, I'm, I'm reaching be, reaching conclusions well beyond the the couple of clips or the three clips I put together, I will say that's fine. That's your prerogative. You can continue to ignore uh, that the the progression. The one clip was from 2019. The other one was from 2021. We're in an exponential curve of, of change. This has been going on for a number of years. And when I say exponential curve, that means it, it, it faster and faster and faster progression. Uh, the insights that I'm offering today aren't going to even be close to what uh, maybe they'll in, in in two to five years uh, will already be there. Uh, <laughs> at best, I mean, I'm saying, I mean, I'm I'm being being generous to myself there, but uh, yeah, they they want to evolve far beyond uh, uh, what I'm saying. Remember the uh, the Nazis uh, in 1933 took over. And by 1939, they, they unleashed a war, a war on the world. Um, and they were willing, in a matter of six years, they, uh, you know, executed, exterminated, um, you know, millions, uh, 
at least more than half of them were uh, of Jewish descent, and the other other half were uh, various uh, considered lesser races or lesser uh, uh, cultures. You know, the Hungarians, the Polish. I mean, there was lots of overlap there, but I'm saying uh, it didn't take them any. It didn't take that much time. We've uh, experienced a, a time frame uh, starting in 2020. Uh, and we can, we can harken back to March 2020, but uh, I think many of the data points show that they, they instituted this plan going back to, I would say, August of 2019. And there's uh, a host of uh, connectors to an event that took place in, in August 2019, but I'm not going to bring it up here because people will uh, unfortunately take that out of context. I'm just, that's a hypothesis of what triggered maybe the the go the go sign the go sign for this to all be set into motion truly set into motion um but we will not we will not know exactly and 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 these people are um they 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 may have uh, may have already foiled their own plan but i i'm i'm not of that mindset yet we shall see uh, lastly, uh, yeah, the Germany has decided uh, that they're going to raise prices by 30% based upon a tweet from Disclosed TV on 400 products. So yes, inflation is going up. Inflation helps the rich, by the way, because asset inflation helps them. While the most of us don't have the assets, but we're going to pay more to keep, main, to keep or maintain. And of course, this helps uh, them say, well, we'll reduce your usage of resources because it'll be more costly for you to buy bread, milk, gas, anything that you may want in terms of, and even um, not just commodity, you know, actual commodities, but luxury goods. Meanwhile, the asset prices uh, for real estate, uh, well, the thing is, is it, it helps them in the short term because they can buy up assets. And when it declines, well, they're going to, people that are at their wit's end, they're going to sell their last asset, but they're going to sell it at a depressed price. And the people that are running this show are going to buy up their remaining assets. This is called, this is part of the leverage, the leverage buyout that they're having across the world. Uh, like I said, they want to control everything. And um, they've been after that for many a year. I know people uh, say, well, you know, they've always, you know, what's any, what's changed? They go, no, there's nothing that's, the, the, the agenda has always been much the same for the, 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 the very, few, very few people at the very top of this food chain to control everybody else. They're so divorced from the rest of us in terms of how they ascertain or uh, <clears throat> look at the world that uh, uh, it would be hard to, it, you have to think in the most malevolent terms. And of course, people say, well, you always are assigning the motives to them that you can't possibly know. That is true. I am assigning the motives to them. <clears throat> it's just based upon the outcomes and the results that I, I experience and the things that we're seeing and uh, the, the ability for them to uh, get people to give up their rights in order to get, maintain get a little supposedly a little security from a virus has shown a, a great a great impact that if they generate enough fear propagation that they get people to do a whole host of behaviors that they weren't doing prior to uh, January through March of 2020 they weren't doing the, most of us in the Western world you didn't see masks on their faces that was kind of a Chinese uh, 
thing. We always thought that was kind of hokey and stupid, and we were we were right in believing that. But over there, that's a ritual, and maybe you maybe you believe that the Eastern philosophy works better. It, it, it also ascertains that the Chinese are very homogeneous in terms of their population. Most people don't remember that they're about ninety. I don't know. They're ninety plus percent Han Chinese. And they don't intermix, and they don't interbreed. Just so you know, uh, just to think about that for a little bit. Many other places on the world and the Western cultures are far more, um, what would you say, intermixing and diversi- diversified. Just, just so you realize that you know, uh, uh, there's a reason why so many of our major corporations are uh, are actually working with the Chinese on a host of things. And, of course, the World Economic Forum, led by Klaus Schwab, has his son, Oliver Schwab, who runs the World Economic Forum office in Beijing, just so you know. So, yes, um, there's, all kinds of, there's all kinds of dots to connect and dynamics that are going on. What's the next domino? Who knows? So I'm going to close out. Uh, I've actually gone on an extra 10 minutes. I probably shouldn't have. I, I hope that uh, this podcast will... Uh, be uh received uh in the best spirits i know i touched on some things in probably a very negative light um things that uh, i think are going on and continue to go on but i think there is hope the more people become aware of what's going on and can even base it back into this this particular time frame that i just mentioned the history of the past that this is a this has been a perpetual cycle to uh, by certain forces, and it is just another iteration. But they pass on that uh, that behavioral tick uh, to their to their offsprings or to their acolytes, to people that are willing to take up the, the charge that they're they've convinced. You know, they've indoctrinated the the the, for, the powers that be that are currently um, that are considered a quote. The most powerful people with money and a position and are connected well. Uh, the indoctrination, in order for them to rise to the level that they are, they have to have signed off on or signed uh, on to this kind of agenda because uh, if they don't, uh, they would never be allowed to, to do that. They would just use the media to hijack them, the KGB that Harari mentioned. They would use some kind of uh, form of social control uh, to eliminate their uh, most uh, uh, most terrible enemies of their agenda. They're not going to allow, uh, you know, uh, they they, but they do that strategically. But in the future, they may not do it so strategically. They may just do it wholesale. So anyway, uh, thank you very much for listening. I hope you've learned something from this broadcast. God bless the United States of America and God save the world.